Great to see everybody in church today. Turn to your neighbor and wave at them. Let them know that you're real happy that they're here as well. We are in secret number four today as we're looking at the eight secrets to a happy life, the Beatitudes of Jesus, which we rethink happiness. Everybody's got a definition for happiness, but what does Jesus say about it? He gives us the definitive word, so we're going to look at secret number four here in just a moment. If you have missed any of the messages, I encourage you to check them out on our podcast or go to our website, and you can get right back up to speed. We have small groups, rethink groups going, there's study guides, all sorts of helps to uh, really kind of advance our, our faith as over these next 60 days of spiritual growth, we've really wanted to focus in on what Jesus is saying to us about the kind of people that he wants us to be. We want to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead like Jesus, and that's really the core value of our uh, lives and our church. Now, last week I had you fill in this sentence, and I'm going I'm to do it myself here today. Happiness is dot, dot, dot. If you were going to define what happiness is in your life, how would you answer that? Well, I'm going to share just a couple of things. Happiness is we're able to do a vision night in person. You uh, heard Adam talk about it, and I really want to encourage you to come. There's extraordinary things happening in our community as we show God's love in practical ways to people in need right here around the walls of our church. Will you please come? Uh, on Sunday night, November 7th, 5 o'clock, one hour or less presentation as you hear all the things that have been happening and where we want to go this next year. We really would like you to be a part of that. And then also, uh, happiness is we're able to travel around the world next year through our short-term outreach mission trips. And uh, we have four trips planned, uh, two to Albania, one to Sumba, Indonesia, another one to Eswatini. And uh, we're really looking forward to that. If you have ever had a notion you would like to go on a short-term outreach missions trip, check it out upstairs after the service here today. We'd love for you to be aware of it. And one more thing, happiness is having a great perspective. My good friend Bob Goff was with us two weeks ago. Now, I say good friend, I've met him once, so uh, there's that. But uh, he's a prolific author and a real funny man, and he, has, he said something at our uh, Pregnancy Resource Center gala event that we hosted here at BCA that I think I'm going to use in the future. He says, people ask me all the time how old I am, and I, I just tell them, I just turned 58 five years ago, <laughs> and I think that's a great perspective. It's kind of like the gentleman in our lobby here last week. I was talking to him, and uh, you know, we we're talking about work, and I said, well, how's it going? He says, well, I'm a stay-at-home, you know, I'm a full-time stay-at-home dad, full-time dad. I said, awesome. And I just kept listening. He said, well, and I also work 40 hours a week for Microsoft. <laughs> and I thought, hey, that's a, that's a great perspective. You know, that's a, a great priority. And uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Well, as we think about happiness, it's interesting to study what happiness means to other people. You may not know this, but there is a, uh, uh, a study that's done every year about the happiest country in the world. Can you guess what the happiest country in the world is? Well, I'll give you uh, the top 10. Let's kind of work our way uh, back. Austria, New Zealand, Luxembourg, Sweden, Norway, the Netherlands, Iceland, Switzerland, Denmark. Those are two through 10. But do you know what the happiest country in the world, the country that all of you are going to want to move to next week? Are you ready? Drum roll, please. Everybody say it on the count of three. One, two, three. <laughs> You're right. It's Finland. Who would have guessed? Only those of you that knew it. I had no idea. Uh, people go through great 
great effort in trying to figure out what the happiest places are in the world are. They have certain criteria. Finland is a winner this past year, so there you have it. That's pretty exciting. Socrates said, the secret of happiness, you see, is not found in seeking more, but in developing the capacity to enjoy less. And when I read that, I thought to myself, you know, that really kind of fits into what we're talking about over these 60 days. Because Jesus would say, focus on two things. Love God, love other people. That's what the Beatitudes, when you boil them down to their simplest form, are all talking about. Love God, love people. Like the Ten Commandments, love God, love other people. That's what it's all about. How can we do that most effectively? And Jesus teases that out, if you will, in eight different Beatitudes, and we're looking at those in turn. I uh, came across a website, www.10percent.com, and uh, it features this book, 10% Happier. And on the website it says, it's possible to increase your capacity for joy, gratitude, and love. No magical thinking required. Our meditations will help you enjoy life more. And it's really a website about meditating. And, uh, uh, you know, I believe in meditation on God's Word. That's what it says in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who meditates on God's Word day and night. I think they're recommending a few other things. But, but I was intrigued by the title of that book. What if we all could be 10% happier? I don't know how you measure that. I don't even know if that's possible. What if you could practice the eight Beatitudes 10% better? I'm not sure you can really measure that. I'm not sure that's even possible. But the the big question that really kind of keeps going through in my mind is, how are we going to be happier people? And Jesus says, Rob, you are going to be happy. He calls you by name. You are going to be happy. If you practice these eight secrets, the eight Beatitudes of Jesus. Because internal joy is found in an eternal God. And he got on the mountain and the people gathered around and he began to share the quintessential teachings of everything he ever taught, the eight Beatitudes. And we want to talk about those here again today. Beatitude number one, accurately assess yourself. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know they are nothing without God. Beatitude number two, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are devastated by sin and know the devastation sin causes. We admit our mistakes. We admit sin freely. We recognize we're sinners. Secret number three, blessed are the meek or the humble. Blessed are those who Respect other people who understand it's God first, others second, self third. They are going to be the happiest in life, in their relationships, in their involvement with people all around them. And then beatitude number four, do the right thing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. We want to talk about beatitude number four today. And so let me ask you, what is righteousness? What does righteousness mean? Well, in its simplest, simplest form... Righteousness is godliness. It's Christ-likeness. It's doing the right thing. It's doing the right thing which flows out of being the right kind of person. It's pleasing God, honoring God, obeying God. That's what righteousness is all about. That's what righteousness means. It's, it's faith and practice. It's belief and behavior. It's not just believing the right thing. It's doing the right thing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, there's so many scriptures that talk about righteousness in the Bible. You know that as well as I do. And I've chosen one in particular, and that's 1 John 3, 7. 
It says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous. Do the right thing. Be righteous. And then later on he says, Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So you're righteous if you do the right thing. You're unrighteous if you do not do the right thing or you do the wrong thing. Do the right thing. James says in 4, uh, 4.17, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. We need to do the right thing. It's not just thinking or believing, it's behaving and acting and practicing. So the question for me and for all of us is, what do the people closest to me see and think about my righteousness? Do I just kind of believe and have a certain faith, or do I actually live it out? Do I actually flesh it out? And we need to train ourselves to be godly. That's one of my favorite verses in 1 Timothy 4.17. You know, we train ourselves, you know, physically through resistance training and engagement training. Well, in faith, it's very much the same way. I need to resist evil, and then I need to engage in what is good and right and practice the things that God has called me to practice. You know, I was uh, thinking about a lot of the verses I was studying, and uh, one of the things that uh, I noticed is that one of the ways that we grow in righteousness is by practicing our faith during difficult, difficult times. It builds spiritual muscle. For example, when suffering, 1 Peter 3.14 says, even when you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. So when we go through suffering and we do the right thing, it's going to build our faith muscle. We build our faith muscle and our righteousness muscle, if you will, when we do good during times of weariness and fatigue. Let us not become weary in doing good, doing the right thing, doing the righteous thing, the good thing, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest. When we're tempted, do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do the good thing, do the godly thing, do the righteous thing, even when you're tempted. When busy, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God. No matter what's going on, how busy, how chaotic, how stressed, how exhausted you are, do the right thing. And when conflicted, Proverbs 21.3 says, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So when you're conflicted and you can go this way or this way, do the right thing, do the godly thing, do the obedient thing. That's one of the key words in the fourth secret. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. But what does hunger and thirst really mean? Let's talk about that for just a couple minutes. In Jesus' days, his first hearers would have really, really understood what hunger and thirst meant. There would have been a woman in the crowd who would have heard him talk about hunger and said, I understand exactly what you're saying, Jesus. She and her family lived on subsistence means, hardly any money coming in, and if lucky, one meal a day. And she would pass up that meal often to make sure her kids had enough. Hunger, she knew hunger pains. She was hungry most of the time. When Jesus says, blessed are you if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, she got it. She understood it. Today, we don't get it. We don't understand it. We can call up DoorDash. We can run to a restaurant. We can dial up and have groceries delivered. Food is accessible. 
all the time, all the time. Food is everywhere. Even folks that are very hungry in our community, if they, if they work at it and know where to go, there are people like us that want to help people with food. But not in Jesus' day. And there would have been a man in the crowd who would have understood what it meant to be absolutely thirsty. About ready to die, he was so thirsty. He had just come across the desert and he used his headdress to keep the sand out of his nose and his mouth and his face. But he almost died on the trip because he was so thirsty. His, his, his throat was parched. He, he, he could hardly, hardly make it. And Jesus is saying, your desire to be righteous needs to be as great as a person wanting food who is dying of hunger and a person wanting water who is dying of thirst. That's how much you need to desire righteousness. So I ask you, are you hungering and thirsting after righteousness in that way? Blessed are those, a secret, the fourth secret to a happy life is to hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's interesting that when you study this scripture in, in the Greek language, and there are reference books and helps that can guide us in this, and you understand in the Greek language, this is a continuous action, present sense uh, word. And what that means is it's ongoing. It's not one and done, it's ongoing. So you're always hungry, and you're always thirsting for righteousness. It goes on and on and on. So you're always pursuing. You are driven, driven by righteousness. What drives you? Jesus says, are you driven by righteousness or are you not? William Barclay in his commentary from the book of Matthew says, ask yourself, how much do I want goodness? How much do I want righteousness? How much do I want Christ-likeness? Do you want goodness, righteousness, godliness as much as a starving man wants food and as much as a man dying of thirst wants water? How intense is your desire for God and godliness? So what are you running after? That's a question I want us to think about for just a quick minute here. What am I, what are you running after? People choose to do right and wrong all the time. I'm listening to a podcast uh, about pastors and religious leaders and, and how some have fallen because they haven't chosen to do the right thing. And it's very sad, very tragic. You know, the, the wake they leave behind them of, of carnage. We see in the sports world, People rise and they fall, sometimes in a weekend, because of misdeeds. In business world, stories of malfeasance, espionage, treason, and more from just this past week. And then in people's personal lives, infidelity, dishonesty, theft, deception, and greed. And people somehow rationalize it's okay to go down the wrong road because somehow still it will be right. That's conflict. That's conflicted. There's, that's incongruent. And so we need to continually ask ourselves, you and me alike, am I doing the right thing? Am I thinking the right thoughts and am I doing the right, right thing? I talked to a man some years ago and this story came to my mind as I was writing this sermon. And he said, Rob, I'm going to divorce my wife. I'm not happy. And I believe God wants me to ha be happy. And so I'm going to divorce my wife. And, uh, you know, 20 years from now, I don't want to be, look back and, and be unhappy. So God is a God of grace. He'll forgive me. I want to be happy. And so this is what I'm going to do. And, uh, you know, people talk to me like that and tell me things. And that's not a good idea because I'm not going to encourage it at all. <laughs> you know, that's, that's uh, you know, I said, listen, there's another option. You 
don't want to be unhappy. And so you're going to get a divorce. But there's a third option. You can become happy in Christ and bring that happiness into your present marriage and believe God to do a miracle. There's a third option. Well, he didn't like my idea, which is often the case. And we worked through that and we talked through that. And, and uh, in the end, he went with his approach and, uh, and, and didn't, didn't listen. Sometimes people think they can get to the, right, to the right place by going in the wrong direction. And listen, it's less about the man I just referred to. It's more about you and me right now. What are we dealing with? What are we wrestling with? Heard the story the other day of a man who just made a terrible, terrible choice. And I was just talking to my wife. I mean, just consider all the steps a person has to go through to get to where they do that egregious act. There's a lot of steps. You know, I no longer am going to follow God. I, I'm going to hurt my family. I'm going to, you know, throw my finances out the window. I'm going to do this, I'm going to that. And so I'm going I'm to sin against God. And then, and then they get to the act of sinning. But there's all these steps beforehand. And that's why I ask, what are we running after? What are you running after? What am I running after? If we're wanting after righteousness, if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, it's going to bend us away from temptation and yielding to sin. We can make our choices, but we can't select the consequences. The consequences go with the choices. And there are a truckload of bad consequences that go with wrong choices. Doing wrong never turns out right. Doing wrong chips away at our character and our moral fiber. Now, in the few minutes that we have left, I want us to look at three characteristics of what it looks like to be a righteous person. And so let's look at it. And as we do, I want you to filter your life through it. And I want you just to kind of ask yourself, you know, how am I doing in these areas? One characteristic of living a righteous life is having a right attitude, and then that leads to right actions. Let me uh, illustrate with a few scriptures here. Micah 6.8 says, He's shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. How well am I doing those three things? Acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly. And then a very similar verse in Isaiah 117 Isaiah says, learn to do right. Do the right thing. Learn to do right. What, what's the right thing to him? Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. And plead the case of the widow. Four things. Justice. Encourage other people. Care for the fatherless. Care for the widow. And then James 2.8 says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. You're doing the right thing. When you love your neighbors, you love yourself. Well, what is the principle from these verses? To me, the principle is this. Rob, the proof of my righteousness will be seen in my godly actions and Christ-like attitudes. Godly actions and Christ-like attitudes. And so I go a step further, and I speak to myself, and I ask the question, what am I doing for the poor? What am I doing for the fatherless? What am I doing for the widow? What am I doing for the helpless? In other words, we don't just read these scriptures and let it go in one ear and out the other. 
We, we stop and we just do personal inventory and we say, God, how can I be more faithful in having right attitudes and right actions in these particular areas? And these are specifics. And that's why we are so involved as a church with the Compassion Center here in our city. You can actually be a part of all those things that Isaiah and Micah talk about by just being involved in serving at the Bethany Compassion Center, reaching out to the poor, caring for the widow, elder care, you know, caring for the innocent and the helpless, being involved in not just saying I'm against abortion, but getting involved with the Pregnancy Resource Center and coming alongside women who are in a crisis situation and need to know someone will care. We hosted the gala the other night, as I referred to a moment ago, and at the last minute, the person who was supposed to ask for the offering couldn't do it, and so they said, Rob, would you do it? And I said, sure, anything I can do to help, I'd be happy to. And that's when they told me I was following Bob Goff, and then I thought that was probably a bad move on my part. Uh, but uh, we, our hope was to, to receive $150,000, and over $200,000 has come in already. And that had nothing to do with me, but everything to do with the cause. And there was a, a young lady who was on the video and said, I was going through a crisis. I didn't know where to turn. I had an un unplanned pregnancy, and there was nobody in my life, no finances in my life, no insurance. I was helpless. I didn't see any alternative. And then somehow someone introduced me to the good people at the PRC, and I found out that there were people that cared. There were people that loved me. There was support. And that's why I and that's why we are very involved with organizations like that, just to provide people hope. Jesus says, what are you doing to provide hope for the hopeless? It's called right attitudes and right actions. It's called being righteous. God, help us not just talk a righteous talk, but do righteous things. And if we all pray that for ourselves, imagine as we become more and more righteous in the things we do, what that does for our entire church family. May BCA be a place where people say, that's a group of righteous folks down there. They are doing good in our community because they care. I had a few people talk to me about our refugee work. And they say, you know what, we're not sure about the politics of helping Afghan refugees. We're not too sure about this, that, or the other thing. And I said, listen, politics and procedures and all that has its place, and there are things that have to be figured out. But just let me tell you this. Jesus told a story. It's called the story of the Good Samaritan, where a Samaritan was walking along the road, and he saw some guy that had been beaten and left for dead. And that guy was a Jew, despised. They despised each other. They hated each other. And what did the Samaritan do in Jesus' story? What was the point of Jesus' story? The Good Samaritan of a completely different ethnicity reached out to someone else based on their ethnicity? No. Based on their finances? No. Based on their need. Someone was hurting and needed someone to help. And so Jesus then asked the fellow who asked the question, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? He said, this is what it means to be a good neighbor. Now you go and do just like this Good Samaritan did. There are a lot of things to figure out in this world. There are a lot of questions we've got to try to get answered. But the one thing we've got to land on very, very quickly is how can we help 
human need? How can we love our brother? How can we love all of God's children? What can I do practically? You say, Rob, I can't do everything. I can't do all. Well, what one thing can you do? Who's that one person in your life that God wants you to reach out to? What's that one thing you can do? What's that one thing I can do? We need to find hurts and heal them. We need to see helplessness and provide hope. The second thing is right relationships and the right kind of heart toward other people. It kind of goes along with what we just talked about. But let's dive into this a little bit more. 1 Corinthians 13 says love is patient, it's kind, it's not envious, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor other people, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, on and on and on it goes. You've read 1 Corinthians 13, we all have. Maybe you've memorized it, it's beautiful, it's put into poetry, into music. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But what are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do the right thing. Be vigilant. Be driven by righteousness. And so the principle is, the proof of my righteousness will be seen in the health of my relationships and in the sincerity of my heart for other people. And so how are you toward people that are not as easy to love? How are you toward people you don't even know? How are all of us, any of us, how am I toward people that are difficult to love? That is really a crucial question. If you look at just any of your relationships, and if there were people that we brought up here in this chair right here, this would be kind of fun. Bring someone in your life up here and then ask them questions about you. How would that go? Is so-and-so patient or do they have a short fuse? That would be, you know, we might do that someday. Any volunteers to be put? No, we won't do that. Um, would people say you're kind and compassionate or condescending and disrespectful? Envious, boastful, or humble, selfless? Do you honor or dishonor? Are you fast or slow to forgive? Do you protect, care for others, cultivate strong relationships? I read this story here this week that just really uh, caught me by surprise, and maybe you came across it too, but a boy was on his bike, and he went flying down a hill, and his bike was old, had no brakes, and he slammed into another guy's parked car, uh, put a huge scratch all the way down it, and a big dent in the side of it. Now, how many of you would be really happy about that? I mean, that would just make your day. So the guy came out, he looked at it, and, of course, he was really upset. So you know what he did? The next day, he went to that boy's house, and he delivered that boy a brand-new bike with brakes that worked. I mean, I read that, and I wasn't expecting that conclusion to the story. And I thought to myself, that's rethinking happiness. That's rethinking relationships. That's turning everything upside down or right side up. Here's a guy that has a right heart towards other people. I don't know anything about the guy's faith, but I was kind of blown away by the specificity of the example of what he did for that kid. I thought that was pretty, pretty amazing. The third, third thing that shows a righteous characteristic, besides right actions, right attitudes, right relationships, is asking the right questions and having the right motives. Jesus was encountered, uh, accosted, and he encountered 
multiple people who had different kinds of questions for him. And there were three particular cases that uh, jumped out to me this, this week as I prepared for this message. One of them is Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40. There was an expert in the law that asked Jesus the question, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And this is where Jesus shared the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. A mantra, a theme, a, a mission that Jesus carried forth in his life. I mean, it's a good question, but the guy was testing Jesus. He was, he's trying to manipulate Jesus. He, his question was fine, but his motives were a bit tainted. It reminds me of the story in Matthew 19, verses 16 to 30. You know, teacher, this is the rich young ruler, teacher, what, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? I mean, that's not a bad question. It's a good question. But, but he was really, you know, kind of trying to vindicate himself and put himself in a good light because Jesus said to him, hey, you've kept the law, you've honored God, You've kept the Ten Commandments, it sounds like, from what you're saying. Now I have just one more thing for you to do. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the guy said, no can do. His question was okay, but his motives were convoluted. And then there was a story in Luke chapter 10. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, another, you know, expert in the law came up to Jesus and uh, Jesus said, well, what's written? He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you're right, you're right. But then the guy wanted to, the scripture says, he wanted to justify himself. And he says, who is my neighbor? Uh, he wanted to put himself in a good light. He wanted to somehow vindicate himself. He wanted to, in some way, uh, set himself up as a guy that had it all together. And that is the occasion where Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who is my neighbor, the guy asked. Well, let me tell you who your neighbor is, anybody who has a need. Now go and do like this Samaritan did. See, having the right questions is really important, but also having the right motive. And this is the principle I pull from this for my own life. Proof of my righteousness or the lack thereof will be seen in the questions I ask and the motives that drive me. The questions these guys asked weren't terrible questions, but the motives connected to them were suspect. So here's the statement that I want to give us. What is our motive and what is a right motive? Righteousness is about doing the loving thing and living the loving life out of devotion to Christ and other people. That is the right motive. So if I'm in a relationship, a conflict, a situation, I need to ask myself, okay, I'm pushing for this, but who does this benefit most, me or them? Is this all about me? Is this all about manipulation? Am I just trying to kind of push people around and get my own way? Or am I truly wanting to be a loving, godly, kind person? And the right question, the most important question to always ask in our dealings, especially with other people, is what does love compel me to do in this situation, in this relationship, in this moment? What does love compel me to do? And the love we're talking about is not eros or phileo, the two uh, Greek words, but agape, which is Calvary love, Jesus on the cross kind of love. That's the kind of love 
we have been called to. When Jesus says do the right thing, he's saying do the loving thing, which means do the Calvary love thing. And I don't think I'm out of place to speak for all of us when I say we got some growing to do to get to the agape love status. But if we're on that trajectory, that's a good thing. If we're growing, if we're moving closer to Christ. The fourth beatitude impacts all of our relationships. Every marriage, every parent-child relationship, every relationship at work, every relationship in church, every relationship you can imagine. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness puts us in a position to do the right thing because we are running after godliness and Christ-likeness. And Jesus says, if you want a happy life, you want a happy marriage, you want a happy relationship, happy family, if you want happiness across the board, run hard after Christ. There's no substitute. So I want to close by asking you to evaluate yourself. Give yourself a grade. Scale of 1 to 10, 10 being you are just as good as Jesus, okay? How many consider yourself a 10? Let me see your hand out there. Okay, good. We don't have to redo the message on humility. Um, how much, these are questions I ask myself as well. We're all in the same boat. How much do you desire righteousness, godliness, goodness? As someone, as much as someone dying of hunger, desires food, someone dying of thirst, desires water? Or is it optional? Be honest, be honest with yourself. I did a Facebook devotional post. If you don't follow me on Facebook, I invite you to do so. I do a devotional every day. One was on honest truth. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. The way to happiness is to hunger and thirst after righteousness. It must be, friends, our all-consuming desire. God, what would you have me to do? God, I want to follow you. God, I want to pursue you. As the deer pants after water, so my soul pants after you, O God. Psalm 42.1. Second question to ask yourself, are my attitudes and actions congruent? Do I say one thing and do another? Are there things that I'm supposed to do I don't do? Be compassionate, be empathetic, be loving, be kind, and I'm just not doing that. Am I running from sin or after it? Am I running from responsibility or toward it? Number three, are your relationships healthy? Is your heart for others true? Or are you essentially self-centered and unmoved, unmoved, unmoved by the needs, hurts of other people? Would others say of you, you're unkind, you lack empathy, you're mean, you're disrespectful, you're demeaning? What do others say about you? Do you have a blind spot? Be honest, brutally honest with yourself. If there's a place where you're out of line, ask Christ to forgive you. He will. Ask him to give you strength. He will. Ask him to help you repair broken relationships. He will be there for you. Can I hear a big amen to that? But we got to start by confessing and asking God to help us. Number four, what do the inner motivations of your heart say about your righteousness? What's going on at the core of who you really are? Ask yourself, what does love compel me to do in this situation, in the relationship, in this moment? You know, moments are meaningful because moments can provide opportunities for ministry or moments can be missed opportunities of being a blessing. 
Moments are important. What does God want me to do in this moment? What is God saying to you? Proverbs 21.2 says, A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Let's bow our hearts and heads in prayer, and let's just talk to Jesus for a moment, all of us. Let's just talk to Jesus. I've been trying to share the fourth beatitude the best that I can here today in a way that kind of prompts and provokes all of us to ask questions of ourselves. Am I on track? Am I growing? Am I becoming? And, and friends, it all begins with committing our life to Christ. And today, I want to invite you that have not committed your life to Jesus to do so today, to say, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me my sins. I want to become a Christian, a follower of Christ. When that happens, Christ will come into your life and give you the strength to not only experience these eight secrets of happiness, but then also to live them out. Maybe today you're here and you've committed your life to Christ in the past, but today you are recommitting, recommitting your life to Christ. You want to recommit your life to Christ. Would you pray that prayer? Lord, today I'm recommitting my life to you. Just talk to him. I'm coming to you for the first time or I'm recommitting my life to you. I want to get squared away in my faith with Christ. I want to do the right thing. I want to follow Christ. I want to put him first in my life. And if you commit or recommit your life to Christ today, tell me about it by filling out that connection card we referred to earlier and just say, hey, today I prayed the prayer to commit or recommit my life to Christ. You can do that online. Use the app. If you're uh, on the website, there's a connection card right there. Please, please, we want to pray for you and, and encourage you in your next, uh, next steps. For those of us that have already committed our life to Christ, the key question is how can I grow and become more like Christ? How can I become more righteous, more godly, uh, more good in that sense? How can I become more obedient? And so what is God saying to you personally about beatitude number four? Is there a secret sin in your life? Is there a, a, an area of your life that's hardened to the word of God? You just, you don't want to change? Is there a relationship that's out of whack? Are there other issues that really are kind of warring against your soul? I just encourage you to give those over to the Lord and say, Lord, come in and help me change and fix and improve and grow in this area or that area, whatever God is speaking to your heart. And then finally, what is the need that you come to church with today? In a few moments, we're going to dismiss and our prayer team will be here at the front. We'd like to pray with you. We believe in a powerful God and we believe in the power of prayer. You came to this service with a problem, a challenge, a heartache, a concern. We want to pray with you. Lord, I pray your blessing on every single person that's here today. God, you know my needs. You know the needs of everybody here. You know where I am in your, my walk with you. You know where all of us are in our walk with you. God, help us grow. Help us pursue righteousness. As much as a person dying of hunger desires food and someone dying of thirst desires water, may we desire and passionately pursue right living, doing the right thing, being godly, being obedient. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we do. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. And we're going to sing a closing song, and then we'll be dismissed. But as our prayer team comes forward, I encourage you to step out from where you are. 
If you prayed to commit or recommit your life to Christ today, come and tell somebody about it. We want to pray with you. If you have a special prayer need or an area of growth that you'd like prayer over, please come. We're going to sing, and then we'll be dismissed. God bless you.